Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today, available for iOS and Android users in your app store. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Party Shots Podcast. Now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. And we're talking Union Hockey in the Party Shots Podcast studio. Union beat writer Mike McGadden joins me. Hello, Mike. Hey, everybody. Hey, it's the final college hockey-centric podcast of 2019. And what better way to close out the year than looking back at the decade of the 2010s uh, in Union Hockey. It was a magical first half of the decade, which culminated with a national championship in 2014. So we're dedicating this edition of the podcast to the top five memorable moments of Union Hockey during the decade. And uh, Michael, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I mean, you've been covering this program now for four years. Um, what's your number one moment in uh, Union Hockey? Well, I've already w- revealed this in a previous podcast. It's Rick Bennett getting a uh, snowball. No, 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 no. no. Um, clearly, it's the uh, national championship in 2014. This is my fourth season as the beat writer. But um, you will recall very vividly um, back in 2013 and 14, um, we knew they were going to be really good. At the time, I, w- I was writing a lot of um, enterprise columns, and we pretty much double teamed every home game as well as all of the postseason games that season. So I had a f- very fun firsthand front row seat to um, that amazing national championship season there. There can be no other number one no. on this list. I mean, it's. That's uh, the easiest question answered uh, that we're going to face in a long time. Um, just kind of a couple of little memories. I remember that Frozen Four, um, first time we walked up to the press box at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. I had to endure for a couple of days there um, with a bunch of Philadelphia Flyers banners hanging down from the ceiling, like <laughs> right in my grill. That was not pleasant. I thought it was. Um, no, I, 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 had a, I had a range just especially. I for you. had to avert my eyes. Um, <laughs> excuse me. But, uh, you know, the transcendent performance by Shane Gossesbear. I mean, the whole team was amazing, but he was the, the outstanding player of the tournament. He made the diving play to um, to thwart a two-on-one for Minnesota, the um, 7-4 victory by Union in the National yeah, Championship yeah. game. Led, led to the Kevin Sullivan led goal. Kevin Sullivan yeah. goal, yeah. Um, just an amazing play. Uh, I remember seeing Matt Bodie on SportsCenter the morning of the game, you know, just showing kind of how cool and, and confident these guys were that they would let their captain go on uh, and have um, – you know, a live interview on, on the Morning Sports Center uh, edition. Um, unfortunately, b- because of deadline and the late start of the game, I can't say that I recall any of the actual celebration in the locker room. And whatever I saw on the ice was, again, from way up and, you know, um, peeking from underneath a Philadelphia Flyers banner because it was just such a tight deadline. The game started late. They had to do a ton of post-game stuff, you know, the and not, you know, not just the the informal, you know, spontaneous celebration as soon as Union won the tournament, they won the trophy, um, but the other, you know, all the, the other formalities that they have to do. So, unfortunately, I didn't really get a taste of that. I don't even remember what I wrote that night. Um, it was just kind of a stream of consciousness. Look at this amazing moment for this program. You know, we, we've exhausted just about everything you could write about this team up to that point. They played whatever, 40 games. And it was just like this long, amazing run. And then after the fact, the other thing I remember is a beautiful spring day um, watching the fire trucks come up Seward Place in Schenectady past Union College and make a right-hand turn onto Union Street. And uh, 
asking Rick, Coach Rick Bennett afterwards, um, the burning question, who was with play, which of your players was most likely to fall off a fire truck during the parade? And he, his answer was Michael Panarelli. So <laughs> and then the other thing was that I'm bringing the trophy, national championship trophy up to Saratoga race course and, uh, you know, hot August day. And, and it was college day and, and Rick Bennett standing in the winter circle during the little presentation there and telling us, uh, He's in a suit and tie. He said, frankly, I'd rather be on the other side of this fence in a Def Leppard T-shirt. So that was pretty fun. <laughs> of course, they brought the trophy here to the Gazette offices, which is yeah, was all over yeah. the place. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I'll have my uh, personal memories from that um, uh, 2014 championship uh, in the next segment. So what's number two on your list? Well, you know, I went outside the box on mine, um, you know, based on the fact that I have a little bit more limited scope because it's only my fourth year as a beat writer and certainly very much involved in that one season. Um, so I got a little radical here, although I'm sure this one may show up on a lot of people's lists. My number two was the brawl game uh, in the Mayor's Cup, uh, RPI versus Union at the Times Union Center. Won by RPI 2-1, to one, but... Um, uh, accounts vary of who uh, won the fight afterwards. <laughs> um, you know, Matt Bodie cross-checked Brock Higgs. Uh, I think there was like 1.2 seconds left or something like that. They had a face-off yep. in one of the um, one of the offensive zones, and next thing you knew, it was just bedlam all over the ice, um, including Rick Bennett, who, um, I mean, if he ever got his hands on you, I don't think he would know the meaning of the word quit, <laughs> going after Seth Appert, you know, the RPI head coach at the time. Um, my one regret from that, that game um, and there were suspensions and all kinds of fallout from this game, that, you know, naturally. Um, uh, but I regret that, uh, you know, our colleague Pete, Pete Iarizzo had the good observation that through the whole thing, Seth Appert's hair never got out of place, um, <laughs> which was a great line. Um, so that was number two for me. Um, number three was Mike Vecchioni's overtime penalty shot goal to beat Princeton in the ECAC quarterfinals. Um in 2017 and it, it, for one thing it was a typical Vecchioni play because if, if you give him a penalty shot that that puck is going in the net but it'll also happen to be his last home game at Mesa Rink uh, and you just couldn't think of a more fitting punctuation to his amazing career where he wound up the all-time career leading scorer for Union and, and Hobie Baker finalist and, and the whole bit um, for him to win a playoff series clinching victory on a penalty shot in front of Mesa Ring fan. That, that was a really cool thing. You know, not that I was rooting for anybody, but it was just, you know, there was, was such a typical Mike Vecchioni moment. Um, you know, clearly one of the most prominent players in it that, you know, the first couple of years that I covered the team and all the great things that he did. Um, number two for me again is a little on a little more personal. I'm sorry, yeah, I went, went in the wrong direction. <laughs> number four, and again, this is a little more in a, a um, personal light um, based on the stuff that I actually was able to witness myself. Was there was a, kind of a low moment for Union College was when they got just absolutely slaughtered ten to three by Penn State that same season. It was two games after the Vecchioni overtime goal, or, or three games. I'm sorry because they got. Um, no, it was two games because they got walloped by Cornell in the ECAC semifinals, got an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament because they had a wonderful 25-10-3 season, and then got absolutely dismantled by Penn State, although let the record show it was still a 3-3 game. And Penn State had come in. They were a very young program. I don't think they had even been in a Division I NCAA for 10 years. Um, but uh, Terry Pagula, um, the very um, – 
you know, very, uh, let's say a wealthy um, alum of Penn State, you know, basically financed the whole program and his amazing 10,000 seat rank and the fan support was amazing. And, and, but their coach also recruited like just a ton of scorers and they beat union 10 to three that day. Uh, it was three, three midway through the second period. And then Penn state got one midway through, and then they got another late one. So it was five, three going into the third period. And you're just bracing for the floodgates to open on this Penn state offense. I'm thinking, you know, next union obviously needs to score the next goal, but if Penn state scores the next goal, it's over. Well, they didn't just score the next goal. They scored three goals in, in inside of the first eight minutes of the third period. And it was over. Um, and the final score was 10-3. Uh, the game was in Cincinnati. Um, and uh, kind of a sour way to um, end what, you know, was a brilliant season for Union. But the, by the same token, um, going into the postseason, they weren't playing their best hockey. And the fact that, you know, Princeton took them to overtime in the quarterfinals and then they got absolutely just pushed off the ice by Cornell up in Lake Placid. Um uh, but it was very memorable because just making the trip and being out there for three days and seeing another NCAA tournament game. Well, in the 25 years I covered Union, Mike, Union never gave up 10 goals. So that's on you. Well, they might have done it. Well, oh, I'll be the bad guy. Yeah, no, I've seen enough. I've, I've been ripped for, for being the bearing witness to some awful things for a lot of teams and, and franchises leaving and, you know, minor league pro fran, like the, the Grim Reaper and that stuff. Um, and number five, again, kind of is more in a personal light. Um, really awesome moment for Union last season, uh, the season opener. They're playing Army at Mesa Ring. Jack Adams, their very good sophomore wing, scored a goal and an assist. And it was very poignant because if people didn't know the backstory, they probably were wondering why the entire Army team stayed on the ice after the handshake line when the game was over, including um, head coach Brian Riley. And Jack Adams, who usually is one of the last ones off the ice anyway, whole team, union teams in the locker room, the whole Army team is still out there. They just got spanked 4-1, to one, and the kid who scored a goal and an assist went over, and they just offered condolences and hugs and stuff. And that was because three weeks prior to this, Jack Adams, uh, 27-year-old brother, uh, Mark Jr., Mark Rue Adams Jr., who was on a Providence National Championship team, had died, and it was just um, – like an amazing whirlwind of emotion and tragedy for him and his family. And the backstory why Army was deeply involved in this whole thing was the fact that back in 2005, there was an Army Army cadet hockey player named Derek Hines who died, uh, killed in action in Afghanistan. And at that time, Jack Adams and the Hines family were very close. And, and uh, Jack's father went down to West Point and, and consoled the team and has been really very unusual, strong bond between the Adams family and the Army program. You know, both kids, Derek Hines is from uh, Newburyport, which is in, in uh, northeast Massachusetts, and uh, Jack Adams from Boxford, which is a little south of there. Um, so they must have, the families knew each other beforehand. So then in Jack's time of need, after Rue died, Army recognized this and really embraced him, literally embraced him after this game. Here's the kid that just beat you four to one, and they hung around. Uh, it's just, you know, these are kids that are going to go be serving overseas someday, but they treated him like like one of them who had had a fallen family member. It was very poignant, and uh, 
I'll never forget that. That was a great list, Mike. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Coming up, I'll give you my top five union hockey moments from the decade. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hi, this is Hunter Moffat, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create, connect, and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletes. Notable Trophy Case team members include Ron Jaworski, former NFL quarterback and founder of Jaws Youth Playbook, who says, Throughout my success in the sports world, I believe Trophy Case can bring value to many different levels of athletes and unrepresented sports. This platform will level the playing field for athletes at the beginning of their career with technology for generations to come. You can download the Trophy Case app and the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Get it today. Back on the Parting Shots podcast, along with Mike McGadam, I'm Ken Schott. Now it's time for me to reveal my top five moments of union hockey in the decade of the 2010s. Uh, I covered the program for 25 years, and I saw a lot of bad hockey at the beginning of the Dutchman's <laughs> Division One life. I mean, there were times I wondered, will they ever be a winning program. I mean, it took a while before it happened, and the 2010s are right now the most successful decade uh, for Union Hockey. So here are my uh, top five memories, and obviously number one, just like Mike, it's the uh, National Championship in 2014. Honestly, it was something I never thought I would see. I Me mean, fantasize, oh, what's going to be like to cover a team winning a National Championship? Well, it happened in 2014. That was the you know, incredible run that year. Uh, I mean, the first, you think of the Frozen Four teams, Mike, in that uh, – uh, Boston College, oh, North Dakota, Minnesota. Minnesota. And you, you, huh? Like, yeah, which you, of these is not like the others? It was, yeah, it was like <laughs> unbelievable. But, I mean, the Dutchman showed they belong. They beat Boston College, the team they beat last year, the previous year in the East Regional Semifinals in uh, Providence. Uh, they won the semifinal game. And then, of course, the Minnesota victory, uh, the incredible game, as you mentioned, Shane Gossespair. Um, and then it has seen the reaction when and he made the play. And then it ends up leading to the Kevin Sullivan goal and made it 6-4. And the bench went nuts. And then when Matt Bodie flipped the uh, uh, puck from his uh, own blue line into the empty net, that sealed the deal. And then, and then everybody was just going nuts. And then uh, you know, when the final buzzer sounded, all the confetti comes down. The guys are racing toward Colin Stevens at the net. And just uh, the scene there was just, just incredible. And for me personally, um, to be able to – not just cover this team winning a national championship, but to do it in my hometown of Philadelphia. Uh, it, was, you know, it was 40 years ago, in, 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 you know, 2014 it was 40 years earlier that, and you talk about the Flyers banners. I mean, the one banner right. up there, 1974, uh, winning the Stanley Cup, uh, the first one against uh, over the Bruins in six games at the Spectrum. It's a lot more banners at TD Bank. Yeah, I understand that. But, uh, I mean, it, it's brought back memories of me, my father and I being at that game. And you know, I lost my father in 1997. And just uh, being able to be in that area across the parking lot from where the Spectrum used to be and it just uh, it was just an incredible moment. And of course, I remember driving back um, to the, you know, get back for the team because there was also some reports of maybe Shane Gosberg was going to sign with the right. Flyers that uh, that Sunday morning. And 
Uh, I remember driving down to the hotel where the team was staying, uh, and I didn't get much sleep that night, and then find out the chain was going back. So you got to, you know, hurry back to get to uh, back to Messerenko to greet. I got the team. lost on the way. I actually made a wrong turn on ninety five somewhere. <laughs> I got lost, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna miss these guys." I they're they were just walking up off the bus when I pulled yeah. into Messerenko. It's amazing. <laughs> Well, number two, like you, Mike, is the brawl at the end of the Mayor's Cup game in 2014. I mean, it's stunning it took place. You, you've described it perfectly. Bodie had the, the cross check. He started it all. And then, I mean, the memory, of course, of Rick Bennett trying to take a swing at uh, Seth Apert just it rings Some him. strong yeah. people yeah. were holding him back. Yeah. Because he was like just borderline bull in a Chinese shop. And, you, I mean, you just like lasers were coming out of his eyes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then I <laughs> – Finally, order got restored, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, the, you know, the school suspended Bennett two games the next day. Yeah, the league didn't wasn't going to do anything about it. Then, like a couple of days later, they came out of nowhere and suspended Bennett two more. They also spent suspended Apert a game, and uh, it's just like you know, what what took so long? You should why wasn't this done sooner? But uh, I mean, it, it really didn't fade me. They lost the next game against uh, Clarkson, but then they that's, that was their last loss, and then they took off from there and. Uh, and end up winning the national championship. It's so amazing that those two things happen in the same season. I mean, if the, the brawl happened in any season, any mediocre, weird, boring 500 season, that would have been like a big moment. And the fact that it happened in the national championship season it just makes it that much more bizarre. And the funny thing is, I mean, when they won the national championship, you really didn't hear much about the brawl. I mean, right. Yeah. Well, that's what I yeah, that's yeah, one of the yeah. things is kind of got shoved to the, the background. It, like I said, if they had just had a mediocre, you know, clunk along to a 500 season, that brawl would have defined their whole season yeah. probably. Yeah. Uh, for me, number three is going to be a Union's first trip to the Frozen Four in 2012. Uh, Bennett was his first year as a head coach after taking over for uh, Nate Lehman, who departed for Providence uh, following the 20, uh, 2010-2011 season. And it was down in Tampa. So for me personally, my first trip to Florida, so it was, and the weather was gorgeous. It was hot as Heck and everything. Uh, I mean, I thought the team would appear ready to, you know, compete for a national championship. But unfortunately, in that semifinal game, first state, they just played tentatively the entire game and never really could get a function. And the first state got a late goal to make it 2 1 and sealed it uh, with an empty net goal. But I think it was a great learning experience because, it, you know, down the, it, it really helped them down the road. And, and a couple years later, they, they put them on the map, yeah. really. I mean, that was the first clear indication that this program was headed for big things. I mean, reaching a frozen four, that is big things, yeah. but um, you know, you kind of, you felt like it wasn't going to be done and it, and it sure, obviously it wasn't. Um, yeah. And of course then, then Jeremy Welsh left right after the uh, game to go to turn pro and sign. Yeah. He had to play in the, the Carolina hurricanes a couple of days later over in uh, Miami against the uh, Florida, Florida Panthers. So, um, Number four, uh, the Dutchmen winning their first ECAC hockey regular season title in uh, 2011. And the Dutchmen reached the ACACH tournament final in 2010, losing to Cornell. But they came back the next season, and thanks to a 10-0-1 uh, run to close out the regular season, the Dutchmen raised the Cleary Cup at uh, Messerink after a 5-0 win over the Princeton on the final night of the regular season. And you could see the joy and uh, excitement that the players uh, – in celebrating and winning a championship like that. Unfortunately, it didn't get them to the ECAC tournament final because they were upset by 12th seed at Cornell in the uh, quarterfinals, and then they lost to – were shut out by Minnesota Duluth in the first round of the East Regional event, the eventual NCAA champion that year. So, um, But uh, 
Uh, and Keith Kincaid left for Jersey. Nate Lima, as we mentioned earlier, mentioned left for Providence. Uh, but really didn't affect uh, them because they I mean they did end up winning the ECAC hockey tournament title uh, the next year. So. Yeah, well, it was another again a signpost along the way of the, the program, you know, the ascension of the program, and, and teams like their trophies too, especially yeah. when you win one in the uh, you know difficult ECAC. Yeah. And number five uh, would be the uh, second five overtime game in Union hockey history. In the uh, this took place in the 2010 ECAC hockey tournament. It was a 3-2 loss to Quinnipiac in Game One of the quarterfinals at Messerink. Uh, the game lasted 150 minutes, 22 seconds, and ended when Greg Holt beat Keith Kincaid at 10:22 of the fifth overtime. And that game became the longest game in NCAA hockey history. Uh, topping the 2006 Union Yale game that lasted 141-35, uh, Union would eventually beat Quinnipiac in the quarterfinals. And uh, firstly, that centered my reputation, uh, cemented my reputation as Mr. Overtime. Uh, All I, I want to know is, did you have your tie tied around your head like um, Big Bill Clement, like no. Doc Emmerich, and I no. think it was Bill Clement yeah, yeah. when they were doing that Edmonton, no. that long Oilers game back in the day. No, because okay. it, no, it was too cold in the press box. I couldn't do that. Okay. So, but uh, man, at that point, I had covered three of the four longest games in NCAA hockey history. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's when people started, you know, it's like the social media people started fearing that if I was in the rink of a postseason game. Sort of like they don't let me in certain arenas like Seth Q arenas yeah. after I, um, you know, covered a uh, 30 and 40 point losses by you all in basketball last yeah. year. So, I'm not sure if I'm allowed back. So, that was a, that, so that's my list. And I think, hope you uh, agree or disagree. So that's fine. We had to, that was a lot of fun to uh, put that together. Well, coming up, we'll have the listeners' memories. You're listening to the uh, Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hey, pro football fans, it's time again to match which with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em Football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook at dailygazette.com slash football. Back on the Party Shots podcast, and uh, Mike, some of our listeners submitted their thoughts on the memorable moments. I'll begin with uh, Ryan Fay, who gave me his top five. He goes uh, April 12, 2014, obviously Union winning the national title with the victory over Minnesota. He goes number two with the uh, semifinal win over BC. Uh, then number three, March 24th, 2012, Union advances to the first first Frozen Four in program history with the win over uh, UMass Lowell. Uh, March 17th, 2012 is the number four when Union captures uh, its first White Law Cup in school history with the win over Harvard in the ECAC Tournament Championship game down in Atlantic City. And uh, number five was uh, Union winning the first Cleary Cup with the win over Princeton. And uh, an honorable mention, would be uh, January 28, 2011, when Union notched its first ever win versus the number one ranked team uh, in program history with a victory over Yale. Uh, he believes this game is somewhat forgotten now, especially with all that following the years after, but it was a big-time win at that time. Yeah, so they had a couple more wins against number one teams, too, after that. Yep. So uh, Harvey Kagan chimed in on the Union College Hockey Fans uh, page. Obviously, uh, Matt Bodie's emptying that goal to ensure – 
The 7-4 win against Minnesota, a ghost uh, phenomenal plus seven for the game. Uh, number two for him would be the 5-4 semifinal win against Boston College. I mean, you hold a 3-2 lead late in the third period, killed off a five-minute major penalty against uh, Matt Hatch. Uh, and really didn't allow BC a scoring chance. Um, so he, there was a couple of his. Uh, number three game it would be the um, uh, game against Providence when uh, Shane Gossiper had this play goalie when Kyle Steen was out of position and made the save against Providence. So that would be his number three. Number four uh, pick would be the 2015 uh, playoffs, having lost Ghost, Matt Bodie, Dan Carr, and other heroes of the previous championship year. You finished 10th in the league, but led by uh, Dan Champini, Jeff Taylor, Mike Becchione, freshman Spencer Fu, and Colin Stevens in goal. They beat number seven Cornell two games in a row in Ithaca. Then they went on to play one of the greatest or uh, guttiest series I've ever seen against ECAC Cleary Cup winner Quinnipiac in Hamden, uh, losing the first game 4-3 in triple overtime, uh, then winning game two by a 2-1 score, it's losing 3-1, uh, emptying that goal in the final game in game three. Uh, took the starch out of Quinnipiac, and they ended up losing to Harvard. Number six seed at the time went on the win to white, the White Law Cup. And number five for Harvey, 2016-17 season with Vecchioni and Spencer Fu leading the nation in scoring, and Vecchioni, Hobie Baker, hat-trick finalist. Uh, he believes that was the year that they beat Princeton, as you mentioned, a penalty shot yep. to win the uh, to win the uh, quarterfinals. Quarter uh, that, but then lost to Cornell in the semis. Of course, in the sour year with a 10-3 loss uh, in the uh, NCAA tournament. Ned Abbott, his uh, one memory because Rick taking a swing at Seth Appert. <laughs> <laughs> a great moment. Burned down a lot of people's memories. Uh, a great moment from a for- forgettable game. Uh, Peter Grux, the 2014 national championship game, coach plus seven. Uh, 2017 semifinal against BC. Uh, Champini had the hat trick and then and the you know, fighting frightening last seconds. Uh, uh, Becchioni and Fu uh, leading the nation scoring that was number three for him. Uh, 2011 uh, Keith Kincaid with a 1.99 goals against average and 25 wins that carried them to the first NCAA tournament. And then 2012 uh, Welsh uh, Zajac Juris Car front. Uh, what an offensive talent! Yeah, obviously, yeah. And then they went to the Frozen Four that year. Um, you know, Peter Gross also has a thought. How would national championship team had been if Juris and Grosnick had stayed for senior years undefeated? I, I don't think they would have been undefeated. I don't know about that, but I know Rick Bennett always uses Josh Juris leaving early as a reference point of like, um, and it happened, I think, in the middle of the summer. And, and yeah. he's like, oh, my God. They, they, he said, we, the, the coaching staff got in the room and looked at each other and said, how are we going to – who's going to score now? Yeah, and, uh, you know, so but then at the end of get bringing Ponderelli in a year early, yes. and then then going to Dan Carr, and then just everything, everything fell into place that year for that team. And Becchioni, uh, obviously, I mean, I bet you that's New Hampshire's biggest regret not letting you know, telling him to stay another year in juniors, and it turned out to be uh, Union's uh, the best thing that happened in the Union. So, and uh, finally, uh, Rob Dixon, uh, uh, he's uh, he is obviously number one in the national championship game. Uh, which all goals were scored by different players and scoring seven goals, which hadn't been done for 20 years in a championship game. Number two, the 2014 semifinal game in which Union refused to buckle under the five-minute major penalty, allowed BC only two good scoring opportunities. Uh, number three, the 2013 regional game facing Boston College for the very first time in which they throttled them 5-1 to one with Sterling team defense. Number four, the 2012 ECHT championship versus Harvard, the first championship for them. And number five, uh, the regional game, 2011 against Minnesota Duluth, the first national tournament game. Yeah, a couple observations from what the 
listeners sent in. Going back to Harvey, the, the plus seven for Goss's Bear is remarkable. But then this um, the one just now about how there were seven different goal scores in that game, which is, you know, and for Goss's Bear to be on the ice. The other one was um, uh, I like the fact that he brought up the Matt Hatch um, major penalty because I wrote about that. Yeah. Um, you know, right after that game, I was like, you know what, I'm going to talk, just talk to Matt Hatch and ask him what it was like to be sitting in that locker room. Yeah, that uh, could have been his last game. Yeah, and, and he was, believe me, <laughs> very thankful for his teammates bailing him out oh, yeah. on that one. So, so it's, uh, well, thank you for everyone who uh, participated in that. We appreciate it. And that um, was a good list. It was, it was a good yeah, it was list. Awesome. It was nice to go back and see. Hard to believe another decade's coming to an end. <laughs> so time flies. It does, and it. Uh, uh, we're always happy to take your questions for the union mailbag. Uh, if you have like to submit a question, you can uh, or a comment, you can email it to me at shot that's s c h o t t at dailygazette.com. Uh, look for my weekly ECAC hockey faceoff selection at the dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. You can participate in the faceoff selections by emailing your picks to me at shot at dailygazette.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast, and this will be the final college hockey-centric podcast of 2019. We'll return in 2020 with another edition. Tune into the Parting Shots podcast on Thursday, December 26th, when the Gazette sports staff looks back at the year in Capital Region sports. The Parting Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Follow us on social media. I'm at Slapshots on Twitter and Instagram. And Mike is at Mike underscore McAdam on Twitter. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. For Mike McAdam, thank you very much again doing uh, come doing this, and we'll do it again in 2020. Entirely my pleasure. Yeah. Look forward to it. Yeah. But thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in 2020 from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, in New York. Good day, good hockey, Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year.